In C.S. Lewis's book, The Voyage of the Don Treader, Eustace is a selfish, self-centered boy with little or no compassion or care for other people. In his travels in Narnia, Eustace finds this old dragon lair, where after slipping on a gold bracelet, he finds there he becomes the dragon on the outside that he actually is on the inside. He's magically transformed to look and feel like a dragon. Of course, Eustace immediately wants to be changed back into he wants, who he once was, but no one around him in, in Narnia knows how to do it, how to change him back. No one except the great lion, Aslan. Aslan, the Christ figure in the story, tells Eustace that if he wants to be changed, he must, must wash himself in a pool of water. But before he can do that, he's told he first has to shed all that skin. So desperate is Eustace to rid himself of his dragon facade that he begins with his own hands to tear away at his skin. And miraculously, somehow, the skin begins to come off. He's slowly turning back into who he was. But every time he comes to the pool to wash himself and glances down in its water, he sees the dragon facade. More skin still has to come off. Finally, Aslan, in a moment of grace, offers to peel off the last layers for Eustace, if he'd like him to. Eustace agrees, and Aslan, with his claws, tears deeply into his skin, and it hurts. It really, really hurts. But Eustace finds that he can bear the pain. He can tolerate it because of the pleasure he feels in knowing the skin, this facade, is coming off. Finally, Aslan takes hold of Eustace and throws him in the pool of water, and he looks like Eustace once again. But something, something still has changed. He's not exactly as he was before. In every religious tradition that I know of, there is talk of the spiritual journey, the spiritual quest, this journey of transformation from who we are to who we can be in God's embrace. And when we talk of this spiritual journey, this quest, this transformation, we usually imagine going from one place to another place, from one incarnation of ourselves to another. Spiritual growth in this mindset is a, a linear progression from good to better to best. We were unhealthy and now we're healthy. We were addicted and now we're clean. We were blind, but now we see. We start over here and over time, by God's grace, we end up somewhere over there. And this view of the spiritual journey, the spiritual quest, the spiritual transformation sounds logical. It makes sense to our brains, and it feels comforting, especially to those of us immersed in a culture that values results, that measures and quantifies everything. We like to say, we were here, we were A, B, and C, but now look at us, we're D, E, and F. We are different. We are changed. You can mark it and measure it. We live in a results-oriented time where everyone craves outcomes that we can point to and rest on and find peace in. Trouble is, from my experience, and I think from yours as well, seeing this spiritual journey, this spiritual quest, this spiritual transformation as a linear journey from good to bad, from death to life, from blind to now I see, simply does not match our actual human experience. We love 
stories of radical, complete, and permanent transformation and change, but as we know, despite God-given moments of clarity and even conversion, we keep coming back to the pool time and time again for healing, for forgiveness, and to remember who we are. Theologian Walter Brueggemann believes that human beings experience two general movements in their lives. The first move, he believes, is into the pit. This happens when our world collapses and we feel there is no way out of the deep hole into which we sunk. So the first movement is the movement down into a time of confusion and despair. The second movement he identifies that he believes in is this idea that we move then out of the pit into a new place of welcome, a a new reality where we begin to understand what has happened to us, what happened to us in that pit, and who pulled us out, and how we have now changed. Brueggemann believes, and I typically tend to agree, that we are either going into or out of the pit. That is the journey of the human life. With this understanding of the human spiritual journey, Brueggemann has identified three places where human beings reside on this journey, three locations or realities that he believes are reflected very clearly in the three types of psalms you can find in the Psalter, the book of prayers, that is the centerpiece of our faith. There are places, he believes, of orientation. You know those places where you feel like you got things figured out. For whatever reason, things make sense today. You feel oriented, secure. You know who you are. You know where you are and you think you know where you're going. We love, we love places of orientation. Then there are places of disorientation, where we feel like we're losing our way, losing our sense of self, not sure what is happening around us. We can't quite figure out where we've been and, frankly, where we're going. And then there are places, he believes, of reorientation, where we realize that God has drawn us through, drawn us through, brought us up out of the pit into a new place full of new realizations, new insights, new feelings of place and welcome and understanding. Orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. This morning, all of you are in one of those three places. You know who you are. You thought you knew who you were. or You're beginning to discover who you might be. John Mulder went through those phases. I've talked about him before. He, John Mulder retains the look of a professor. He still looks the part, but he speaks in less academic and clinical terms than he used to. There's a less confident cadence about Dr. Mulder than there once was that once defined one of the leading voices and statesmen of our Presbyterian denomination. You see, Dr. Mulder was once the president of Louisville Seminary. But after a scandal that nearly destroyed him, Mulder lost all that prestige in his position. He was here, and then he went down there, and he wasn't sure where he would end up next. Today, Dr. Mulder speaks in more measured and deliberate tones, which is what happens to us often when we come out of a place of disorientation. He reflects that one-day-at-a-time spirituality you often hear from recovering addicts. In his book, Finding God, a Treasury of Conversion Stories, Mulder shares pretty openly how he found hope amidst the wreckage of his life. On the morning of December 9, 2003, I was making breakfast in the little kitchenette of the apartment I shared with three other men. They were all still sleeping. 
I was spreading peanut butter on an English muffin when suddenly I was surrounded by light. It was not blinding or frightening, but warm and rather embracing. At first, I was thankful there were no voices or sounds, but as the light subsided, I eventually heard a voice say, you are not alone. Then the light faded, and I was there, standing with my bread and peanut butter. The staff at the treatment center, he writes, told me later that this event marked the beginning of my recovery. But after I told my story in one of the small groups, my Jewish counselor in that group said, oh, that's just an Old Testament way of summing it up. God says, turn around and get on with it. It's a perfect way of describing of what it means to find God. Turn around and get on with it. In times of orientation, described in psalms like the one we heard today, where we know who we are, we know who God is, and we find confidence and faith in that knowledge, we don't really arrive. Psalms of orientation are not a destination or a place we stand in. In those times of orientation, we may not know it, but we are being given strength and courage and faith to step out of that place to someplace new, to someplace frightening, to someplace unknown. We are being encouraged in these times of orientation to turn around and get on with it from what is known to what is unknown. Now, the Christian word for this movement from the known to the unknown is resurrection. This idea that we are continually moving each and every day from life to death to new life, from life to death to new life. Resurrection is a fancy word for life, for hope, for new beginnings. We know it. We know it, but we so easily forget it. I easily forget it. I I crave, I love, I cherish status quo. I like a morning routine. I like my coffee to taste a certain way. I like you to behave a certain way. I like my children to behave a certain way. I crave things being what they are. But every time I get in that place of orientation, I find the ground beneath my feet beginning to shift. And if I stay there too long, I, I start to wobble. There is no status quo, especially in a spiritual journey. You are either moving forward or you are moving backwards. There is no standing still. Which is why these psalms of orientation are such a gift to us as individuals and as a community of faith, regardless of where we might be on that three-part journey. They are a gift because these psalms of praise, of magnificence, encapsulate those moments when we know We don't make the journey alone. We know who God is and what God is doing for us. You know that moment in the car when you're driving and you make a wrong turn and your GPS either speaks or tells you or shows you it's recalculating, adjusting your path to get you to where you think you want to go, helping you stay calm as you navigate familiar terrain. Kids, before we had GPS, we had triptychs. And your parents would flip them over in the car and figure out, what's on exit 67? Is there a get-go here? But these GPS reorienting, these maps, these compasses we use, these psalms of orientation, they are not the destination themselves. 
They are constant reminders to us that no matter where we find ourselves on our journey, God is there. The God of all creation, the God who loved you and made you, the God who redeems you, is there in the car, in the journey, on the hike, in the place where you feel the most uncomfortable, doing whatever needs to be done to keep you moving forward in faith. In 1977, Peter Gabriel released Salisbury Hill. Do you know the song, Salisbury Hill? I promise I will not try to sing Salisbury Hill. Great song. The song was Gabriel's first effort as a solo performer and describes a spiritual experience he had on a hill in Somerset, England. Gabriel first came to fame as the lead singer of the progressive band Genesis. Over time, however, he felt more and more uncomfortable as his role of frontman of a band. He felt like he was getting too much credit for their success, and the more successful they became, he started to feel they were losing their way, their values, what had got them there in the first place. And so, after much deliberation and consternation, Gabriel took a huge risk and quit the band Genesis. Big deal back in the 80s. And that's where Soulsbury Hill came in. The song chronicles, much like the song, three movements in Gabriel's life, his disillusionment, his decision to leave the band, and the eventual artistic freedom that decision led to. The first move is an invitation of sorts. Amid struggle or discouragement, there comes a word, perhaps inwardly or outwardly, a possibility, an unlooked opportunity to do something different. The second move is trepidation, venturing forth into the unknown, even when it seems like the right thing to do is scary because it's the unknown. Then the third move, the third move is always freedom. Once you make the break, once you are true to yourself and to your calling and to what you believe, everything around you begins to change. You can hear these moves at several points throughout the song, Salisbury Hill, but it's most clear in the invitation Gabriel gets from the eagle. In the first stanza, the invitation comes through clearly. Son, he says, grab your things, I've come to take you home. In the second stanza, as Gabriel begins to realize the cost his decision will incur for him and for others, the invitation is repeated and this time intensified so he can hear and appropriate it even amidst all his fear. Hey, he says, grab your things. I've come to take you home. Then the third stanza, in the third stanza, something amazing happens. As Gabriel, having surrendered to his call, begins to take a different view of not just his decision, but of his whole life. And so now he is the one speaking to himself, singing, hey, you can keep my things. They've come to take me home. Your spiritual journey will never be a straight line. Never. Or a natural progression, or a logical movement from A to B to C to D. You will go A to B to C, back to B, back to A, to F, to G, to 4, to 5, to 6. <laughs> it's all over the place. It's not a straight line. It's a winding journey defined by constant movement from invitation to trepidation to freedom. It's always a movement from orientation, I know where I am, to disorientation, where am I, to reorientation. Oh, yeah, this is it. And this in and out This up and down is a good thing even when and especially when it doesn't feel like a good thing. Because this movement from what we know to what we fear to who we can become is what keeps us nimble, keeps us growing and learning in our relationship with ourself, which is critical, 
our relationship with others, which is essential, and even our relationship with God. Sounds very cliche, but it is very true. Faith is about the journey, not the destination. Because while there are many places you will find yourself in your spiritual journey, places you want to be, places you don't want to be, places you regret going to, while there's many places you can end up as you try to find your way from who you are to who God wants you to be, there is nowhere you can end up, nowhere, absolutely nowhere, where God won't find you and stand with you and reorient you to what matters most. What would your life look like if you took time each day to reorient yourself to the truth of a God who is with you in all things? And not just a little God, an uppercase God, a God of all creation, a God who redeems and justifies and sanctifies, a God who is with you and the person next to you and the person halfway around the world. What would it look like for you each day to take a moment, even just a moment, to breathe in and breathe out and remember who God is and who you are? Friends, no matter whether you are coming in or out of a time of question, challenge, or despair, and I know some of you are coming out of that time, or maybe you're coming out of a time of clarity and certainty and peace, and you're really frustrated that that certainty is getting farther and farther away. Wherever you're going or coming from, take time each day to orient yourself to God in prayer, in meditation. Take out the Psalms. Read a couple. You'll find one that speaks to you. Reorient yourself so you can know that the God of all creation, the God of love and mercy and peace, is with you every single step of the way, helping you find your way home. Amen.